You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject coming up for you is Jeremy Lenzo from the US Outfit May Day Parade. The reason for the conversation is to promote the Outfit's October 2017 shows in Australia. So let's have a listen to what Jeremy has to say. Here we go. How are you in the moment? At the moment, are you in the States touring? No, we're currently, um, we're currently in the UK, uh, in Bristol. Right, how's that, how's that all going for you? It's been going great. I mean, the tour's been awesome. Um, we've had a lot of fun shows. Us and, uh, with confidence, and I'll get out, um, with confidence is from Australia, but I'll get out from the US as well. Yep. I mean, we've just been over here just doing, uh, I think probably eight shows so far, but it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. Sweet, mate. Okay, so you're coming out to Australia fairly soon. Tell us about what's uh, what, what. Yeah, tell us about what fans can expect there. Because I was speaking to, and I've forgotten his name. I'm sorry, but I was speaking to the um, guitarist and singer from This Wildlife about six months ago about this particular tour that you're doing together with them. Or is it? Are we talking to Kevin, maybe? Kevin, that's right. Yeah, of course, Kevin. Good bloke. Yeah. Yeah, they're good dudes. Uh, yeah, we're, we've toured with them before, and we've had a good, you know, uh, fun time with them. So we figured it would make sense to bring them over to Australia and. You know, redo the tour over there, but I think fans can just expect, you know, if they're familiar with the Alessing Romantics record, obviously we're going to be doing that record in its entirety, um, which is pretty nostalgic record for our fans. And then we have a bunch of other songs, or, you know, I want to leave sort of as surprises, but it should be a lot of fun, um, you know, a lot of rock and roll. Mate, it looks like both Melbourne shows are sold out. Are you aware that you've got a very big fan base there in Melbourne? You know, I did not know that, but it's pretty pretty awesome to hear. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I wasn't um, aware that those shows are already sold out. Melbourne is probably best known as our cultural capital here in Australia. Not that that means too much in a global sense, but um, when a lot of bands tour, mate, they tend to be very popular when they're playing in Melbourne. Now, I'm from almost the other side of the country, which is in Queensland, and we're more about surfing, football, and um, getting out in the cane fields and all the rest of it. And I noticed that the uh, the show here at Eaton's Hill in Brisbane is still available. So to anybody listening, and I should mention, mate, that I host a podcast and radio show, so I'll be airing this interview on uh, on both, if that's okay. Um, if anybody's listening in Brisbane, uh, definitely get some tickets there for the Eaton's Hill show, which is on the 15th of October. It's not too far away. No, coming up pretty soon. Yeah, get your tickets, come out, hang out with us. It'll be a good time. Mate, uh, it's very rare that I get an opportunity to chat to a bass player, and I've got to say, I did request to have a good chat to yourself over and above anybody else in the band. And look, I'm a bass player, and I play uh, a couple of times a week in a local cover band here uh, up and down the coast of Queensland and the like. So are you, are you okay if I ask you a qu- few questions about your bass playing? Yeah, of course. Mate, I noticed in, I was either a Twitter photo or an Instagram photo, or an Instagram post, I should say, that you are holding a Music Man bass. So is that your is that your selected instrument, or do you play a variety of uh, bass guitars? Uh, well, I have a variety of bass guitars um, that I use, but that would be my sole one. The, uh, we've been sponsored by Ernie Ball for a few years now, and when I first got that uh, Music Man Stingray, I wasn't sure what to think about it, and uh, after playing it for a few months, I but that thing just has such a good tone to it and has a lot of punch. How do you get by with active 
pickups, meaning you know you've got the active pickups, which means that it needs a battery. Mm-hmm. Have you had a few failures on stage where you've had to sort of quickly get me the passive base or get me another active base that's got a, a battery that works? Not really. Those batteries last a long time in <laughs> active bases, and when they start to fade, it's not like it just—it's not like it just goes from one hundred to zero. You'll notice that the tone will start to change a little bit as the battery dies. So. Yep. Even if it was like going out in a show, you could still finish the show. Like it takes a while for those batteries to die. You just sort of pop it out before it gets to zero. You know, uh, like I said, it's a slow thing. So it, it can happen over a few months. You'll notice it slowly it starts to kind of die. So, mate, what about amplification? What's the amplification, bass amplification that you're using on stage? So I used to use the Ampeg SCT Classic as the head. But now we switched it up because we do so many uh, shows out of country. We wanted something that we could fly everywhere. And the SGT Classic weighs about 80 pounds, so you can't really fly that uh, easily. So we switched yes. it up to a, just a Sansamp rack mount. Uh, it's funny, that's what I use. Yeah. The, the RB, I think it's RBX. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's powered by a Crown SLX XLS. 1502, I had to get our tour manager to tell me the exact name of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's a tech guy, too, so he knows everything about it. But it's just powered by a power amp. <clears throat> oh, is that right? The, uh, runs the rack uh, sand ramp. All right, and, uh, mate, string-wise, are you, are you using the Ernie Ball Super Slinky Strings? I am using the Ernie Ball Super Slinky Strings. Uh, and I've been using those for probably as long as we've been a band but, you know Ernie Ball makes great strings and they're probably some of the cheaper ones you can get uh, out of you know quality brands so yeah what do you use mate they've, do always, you... they've always been good to us not hooking up strings as well and do you use the, the 45 to 100 gauge? I know I'm getting pretty technical now, but um, I just thought I'd do this because my, my show is all about guitars and bass playing and, and musicianship in general. So I thought I'd dive a bit deeper on this one here, as I say, mate, because I didn't get uh, I don't get too much of an opportunity to talk to a bass player. Hold on one second. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure... There are the 55 to 110s, which are the heavier gauge strings, but I can double check. Uh, if you give me one second, I can actually go look. You're right. <laughs> so I'm going to run out to the state just to, just to make sure you have, you know, the exact specs here. You're right. No, I appreciate it, mate. Well, I do you have a pack of my strings I can check out real quick? Yeah. I wanted to be, uh, or do you know the gauge of them that we have? Is it the 55 to 110? Grab a pack out for you now. Uh... <laughs> Thanks. Okay, yep. Ernie Ball. Oh, Ernie Ball Power Swinky. Okay. 55 to 110, yep. Yeah, that's the purple pack, yeah? Yes, that's the purple pack. Yeah, nice. I use the pink pack, the 45 to 100s. I do a bit of uh, Larry Graham style thumb and slap and pop bass sort of stuff, so I like to have a thinner right, string. Yeah, you probably yeah. need a little of the not so heavy string to do the slap stuff. For, for just doing, you know, just rock riffs that are just. You know, pretty just uh, used to take for most of the set anyway. So those heavy strings come in, come in handy for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, mate. So, mate, let's talk about Mayday Parade again. You've been in the band, I understand, since 
the band's inception when, and I understand this to be the case, and correct me if I'm wrong, two bands merge to form May Day Parade. What was the formative stages of the band like? Um, so the other bands, we used to practice in the same warehouse. The other two bands had merged together. Practice in the same warehouse, and then over time we just realized that there were some members in each of the bands that were like great at what they did. We're like, what if we just put these bands together, just took the best of the best, put them together, made a band. And so we talked it over with the other band and they liked that idea. And, and you know, that's what we did. And it was, I mean, right away, I felt like we had a bigger fan base in the first five months of the new band than we did over, you know, the past few years with our old bands, like it just took off very quickly, um, which was amazing to us because it, it gave us sort of clarification that what we were doing um, actually was working and that it made sense to join the bands. Um, and then pretty soon after that, about six, seven months after that, we got with Fearless Records. They had uh, seen our picture on MySpace, believe it or not, and they liked the picture, mm. so then they listened to the music and ended up liking the music and then Awesome. Not too long after that. Yeah, wow. Okay, mate. And, mate, you talk about MySpace. So the band's debut, as I understand it, was uh, released back in 2007. So the band's at least recorded history is at least 10 years old, and that album was a lesson in romantics. How would you say the band has evolved since the debut? Well, back then, you know, social media wasn't, there wasn't so many different versions of social media. You really had just MySpace, MySpace and Facebook yeah. were like the two big ones, you know. We tried to utilize those as best we, we could. And nowadays, you have so many artists coming out and so many different platforms that people can share their music on with like YouTube and SoundCloud and all these other various things that it, it kind of hard for musicians. It's kind of a blessing and a curse because it's easy to get your music out there but it's hard because you're competing with all the other millions of bands that are now out there, you know, mm. utilizing these social media platforms. Uh, as far as how our band has changed, I feel like we try to just keep honest to ourselves and do what we want to do. I don't think we've ever made a record or wrote a song that was based on what someone else wanted. We never thought, what is, you know, what do does the label want, for instance. We just write what our band enjoys, yep. and we hope that other people will enjoy it as well. Obviously, we've grown up a lot over the past 10 years, so our taste in music has changed. Uh, our styles of music has changed. We try to incorporate that into our music and hope that our fans who are growing with us, they, their taste might have changed in the same way our taste has, you know, so that they might you know like those things now. Um. But, you know, it's always just a hit or miss sort of thing. You just do do your best and have other people, you know, enjoy it as well. Yeah, yeah, no, fair comment, mate, and thanks for the response. And here's a good question for you, and I've been wanting to ask uh, you this for some time. Is the band Weezer, particularly their first two records, is that an influence on your career and the way you guys have gone about crafting your music? The band Weezer? Yep. I mean, we've, we've definitely... Uh, like Weezer, like uh, <clears throat> I think when we were in high school when we were starting the band, I think the Blue album had come out, and uh, maybe Pinkerton was out at that point. Yeah, you um, know, yeah, good album. Yeah, we yeah. definitely, 
yeah, very good albums. We definitely love that band. Um, and we try to model, as far as our music, I think we try to model it more, because at that time we had six members in the band. We're five members now. Uh, no one has switched, but we just had a member who left, you know. And at that point in time, we had two sort of lead frontmen, so we try to model it off of bands that, uh, you know, we try to see what bands out there who had two frontmen, how they approach the situation or how you could uh, utilize that without cluttering up the uh, the music. So um, Weezer's definitely influential as far as the guitar aspect, though. Yeah, sweet. No, no, thanks for giving the feedback on that one there. And here's another question for you, but it's it's really about your musicianship again. I meant to ask this earlier when I was talking about uh, or asking questions there about your bass playing. How do you find singing and playing bass at the same time? Because you're you're quite a good singer. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I grew up playing guitar, and I feel like it's definitely harder to play guitar and, and sing uh, than it is to play bass sing because most of the time for the parts that I'm that I would be singing, I'm just playing simple root notes, you know, so there's not a lot of movement going on. Mm. I kind of that for the parts where someone else is, is singing. Uh, so I don't think it's too difficult. I mean, there are parts that are a little tricky when you first are trying to play them, but then once you get in the hang of it and you practice it a lot, it becomes sort of just like second nature where you don't have to think about it. You just do it, you know? So I asked P.V. Wagner from the band Rage, who's, who, of course, is the band's front man and also bass player, the same question, but what would you say to any aspiring bass players who would like to sing as well when they first get started? So say we've got anybody that's listening to the podcast or the radio show that's 14, 15 or 16 and they're just starting to get into it and they're feeling a bit discouraged, what words of encouragement would you give to them to keep going in terms of playing and singing at the same time? Did even the best musicians have a tough time doing it. It's not something that is just easy by nature. You have to hone your craft. If you're a bass player or a guitarist or a drummer, you have to get good at that first and then incorporate singing, you know, after after that. Once you have the part down, then slowly try to incorporate the singing and it's you know, it might be difficult to stay on time mm, and, yep. and sing at, you know, the respective part, but if with enough practice, it's going to be just like playing that part without singing. Like, your hands kind of do their own thing. You don't pay attention to it. Like, it'll just be second nature. You'll get there, but it takes time. So you just have to kind of stick it out and, you know, keep practicing, I guess, is the Keep practicing. That that it'll, that's it'll yeah. That's the only advice I've ever had for anybody is just that if that's what you want to do, and if you've got the talent to do it, just keep going. My view on it is this: that if you can sing separately to playing, so if you can do them independently, eventually you can do them together. Right. Yeah, and that's that, yeah. That makes a lot of sense as well. You just have to do each one separately first, and be good at doing that, and then combine them, and it'll slowly become easier to do. Cool, mate. Now, just uh, actually, I'll just do a quick time check, mate. How much time have I got left? You know, I don't know. You, you go as long as you want. I'm not checking the time. So. Okay, sweet, mate. Mate, what's the toughest thing about touring? Um, probably being away from family. Like at this point, we've all we're all you know a little older. We have either serious long term relationships or wives and children. Like our singer has children and. Uh, you know, being away from your family is probably the toughest part about it because you miss out on those 
uh, those life moments, you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm. and I'll use our singer again, for example, but, you know, he, he's the only one currently with children, but say the first time your child does something, you know, like child walks or, or says his first words, you might be on tour. You miss out on these life moments that are once-in-a-lifetime things because you're out playing music for your fans and you're trying to build your career. So it's a very tough thing to manage at the same time, uh, family life and, you know, road life. Yeah, and mate, traveling, I've just come back from a fairly lengthy stay in the Philippines. My wife's half Filipino, so a lot of her family are over there. How do you, how do you find the, the whole flight thing, you know, waiting at airports to get onto airplanes? And does anybody experience anything in the band? Does anybody experience anything approaching a phobia around flying in airports? Uh, we definitely get anxiety, I think, around flying, but it's not... A lot of it is just, just has to do with the initial... Leaving the, you know, leaving your loved one, leaving your home, or just like where you're comfortable at, get anxiety having to leave because you know it's coming up and you don't necessarily want to do it. Yep. But as far as actual flying, we're all pretty good flyers. None of us are scared of uh, flying or have any worries about that. Um, uh, actually, our our guitarist Brooks and our singer Derek were on a flight once where the engine caught fire and they had an emergency land, and that didn't seem to phase them at all. It's kind of like whatever, and it got on a flight right after that, and caught another you know plane to uh, to the show. But we don't have any problems with flying. But the worst part about airports is, is literally just the waiting, like waiting to actually get Agreed. on the plane and mm. go through the lines and check everything. Like the largest pain in the ass you know you possibly have, and as far as flying, so that part sucks. What's the, I've got to ask you this, what's the worst airport you've ever been to? The worst airport? I don't know. Um, honestly, when you're talking about the Philippines, I think the Philippines have a pretty bad airport, but... Uh, Mate, they're not good, let me tell you. There's no, they're not organized. <laughs> I can say that first, and I've been no, over there it's, plenty. It's really the ones that are just, they have so many people flying in and out of, but not enough attendees checking tickets or, you know, doing things, so the line is just backed up for, for you know... Like, I've had to wait in the airport line for like an hour and a half at too many places. It's worse when you're going uh, international and you're coming in from another country and you have to wait to, to clear all your goods and uh, yeah. check your passport and visas and stuff. That thing can take forever in, in uh, certain countries. So. Yeah, no, agreed. Look, the Philippines is not great. Oh, we, we travel with, I've got uh, two young daughters, one's four and a half and two and a half, and um you know that thing where they say that happens in America. I've been to America a couple of times, so I know they say this, but they say people with disabilities or with young children, please come to the front of the line and you'll get preference. That sort of thing. Well, they say that at the Philippines, but they don't enforce it. So consequently, it's just this mad cattle rush for the for the right. air bridge. It's the same people that are in the normal line are just jumping over there. Yeah, and nobody gives a shit. And you're like, my God, where's the humanity in all of this? Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, we can get the kids on eventually, uh -huh. but you end up having more bags and all the rest of it, so your bags end up being strewn up and down the aircraft. And uh, I'm only mentioning this, back because I've just come back from the Philippines myself. And, uh, yeah, and I remember saying to the attendee, you know, the person taking the ticket, just what the hell are you guys doing? Because... You know, I know in America they do it, but in Australia, I've just come back from uh, Sydney, actually. I'm from Brisbane and just come back from Sydney and they said the same thing. And, of course, everybody stands aside and lets uh, everybody uh, who's got a disability or with young children get on first. And that's probably the most infuriating thing that I find about travel. And I mention that, as I say, because I've done it recently and I've got young kids, but it's always good to get someone's perspective who travels almost for a living as you do. 
Yeah, that, that, those things definitely make airports a very tedious and frustrating experience. But hopefully with time, uh, and as, you know, as customs grow, and Philippines sort of going through a transitional thing right now anyways, I'm sure it'll, you know, get easier and, and, and more streamlined in the future. But, you know, it was just a state that, uh, you know, sort of almost like a, I don't even know what I'm trying to say at the moment, but it'll You're get right. better, I think, with, Oh, it's organised chaos over in the Philippines. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love the life over there. You can go out at twelve o'clock at night and get a martini from almost any bar, and they'll serve you. Yeah. You know, I do like that. In Australia and America, mate, everything here closes down at about eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night, except for on uh, Fridays and Saturday nights. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not good. We've got lockout laws over here these days because of some of the violence that occurs after dark and um, places like Sydney in particular, it's um, really killed a lot of tourism and a lot of nightlife. Oh yeah, yeah. well, I'll have to try to grab my drinks earlier than save them for later. <laughs> or br- bring your own is the other way to get around it. I think okay. that's what I think bring a lot of people own. are doing, <laughs> you know. Mate, one of my one of my last questions for you is: um, Look, you've been a touring musician for a long time, as we've already clarified. Um, what's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you on stage? On stage, oh, oh no! Actually, speaking of that, just yesterday, which is not too strange, but normally this doesn't ever happen. It's the first time it's happened to me, but we. Um, Every now and then you have uh, crowd servers, you know, they want to crowd serve and then hmm. security catches them on the other side of the barricade and then they walk them around so they can go back to watch the show, you know. And just yesterday, literally, uh, we were playing a show and we saw this crowd server coming and I was, I was looking around and there was no security. I said, what's, you know, where's the security at? And there's nobody at the front of the stage. The crowd server the front and then me and our guitarist both jump off the stage to catch this crowd surfer because there's <laughs> no security and that was the first time i've ever had to jump off the stage to catch a kid because the venue wasn't you know doing it job correctly so that was pretty interesting yeah fair enough mate well kudos to you both for actually having your fans um health and well-being in mind i'm sure they appreciated not you know landing on their heads so yeah Definitely, definitely, yeah. I, I'm, I've seen a few people get, um, well, you know, not seriously injured but hurt whilst they've been doing that. So you, are, you guys, obviously, that's a, that's a seasoned musician in you coming out. That's exactly what it is, yourself and the guitarist in the band. Well, yeah, we definitely have our fans. Like, we have it in, you know, you know um, I don't know how many people know, like, what goes on with, like, venue stuff, but you have, like, your contracts with the venue where they, it's... Um, they tell you like how many people hands they have working and who's hired to watch the stage. Like they're supposed to have four people in front of the stage. Like this stuff's all in the contract with the venue, but they literally didn't have anybody there. And it's sort of like a, a breach of sort of contract, I yeah. guess, you know, with the, with the venue. But as, you know, as a band member, like these kids are coming to your show and they're coming to have a good time and they're not coming to get hurt. Like that's the last thing anybody wants. So, and we all, you know, as we get older, we, Try to watch out for those younger than us, and you know it's the only thing we could do was really just jump off and and try to lend hands to help kids, you know, the kids. But that's I think that's what anybody would do if they were in that situation. I would hope, anyways. No, fair point, but still, still kudos to you, mate. And uh, look, my final question of uh, the evening for me, at least: What time is it over there in the UK at the moment? Let's see. It's 
3.26 p.m. Okay, so the afternoon, it's uh, it's it's uh, almost half past midnight over here in Brisbane. So, uh, oh, mate, really? Yeah, no, it's all good. I've been up editing some shows. I interviewed the... Um, actually, mate, I interviewed uh, Phil Campbell from Motorhead, or formerly of Motorhead, just before you, mate. So it's been a good day for interviews, oh, actually. Really? Yeah, good bloke. Yeah, he had, had some trouble with um, the... Um, the reception, but wonderful guy to interview, and I've, I mean, who isn't a Motorhead fan if you love rock and roll at the end of the day? And, yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, I've, I've been a, I went through a period where I, was, where I was heavily into Motorhead, and I was able to ask him about the guitarist that he played alongside at the time, uh, Wurzel, um, who not many people know about, but Wurzel played on about five or six albums, Motorhead albums, and was more like their virtuoso guitarist back in the late 80s, early 90s. So I was able to ask him quite a few questions about that. So quite a thrill for me, and it's it's good chatting to you as well, mate. So there you go. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> that. And, uh, yeah, thanks for staying up to, uh, to talk with me. Even though it's late over there, I appreciate that. No, it's all good. It's all good, mate. And, uh, look, as I said, my, my final question is, um, what's your relationship been like with Australian fans and listeners over the years? You know, we've always had a great time in Australia. It's Australia is sort of like uh, the U.S. is sort of California in a way. It's the same sort of vibe with beachy and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of outdoor activities, you know, and and we love being outside and, and doing all those things as well. So it's always been a lot of fun, just not even with our fans, but just the people in general we've always had a good interaction with in Australia. Um, a lot of times we'll just go out after the show and make friends with locals and just go to bars with the locals and they'll have we'll have them uh, you know we'll share taxis with them and just go around with them and sweet you know I've always had a great time doing that so yeah well you're definitely a band of the people there's no doubt about that so mate I'll let you go I want to congratulate you on your stellar bass playing and your vocals um, I want to thank you very much for making the music that you've made and um, I'll certainly be in the crowd when you guys tour Australia in October I'll be at the Brisbane show well thank you very much it was great talking with you as well no worries brother alright all the best and stay safe and hopefully we can catch up when you come to Australia sounds great alright thanks mate no worries you've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that interview subject was Jeremy Lenzo from the outfit Mayday Parade. Thanks for listening.